All right. Today, if you're looking at the screen, you'll see the title of the message. It's Encountering the Real Jesus. Now, that sounds like uh, a title that you would attribute to a sermon. But there's more than just a title there. It's, it's, it's a reality. In this world, we encounter a lot of, con- I guess you'd say, counterfeit Jesus. There are, even within denominations, a different Jesus that is being preached. There is a Jesus that is talked about that, that becomes subordinate to mankind. God becomes just merely somebody that we ask to do things and somehow God is obliged or obligated to do what we ask of him. And that's not true. Since the beginning of time, for us as human beings, since Adam and Eve were created, if you look in the garden and you see what Satan said to them whenever he deceived them and pulled them away, it was not so much the fruit as it was the desire, as he said, You will not surely die, which was a lie. He said, but God knows in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you will become like God. You'll know both good and evil, and God is trying to keep this away from you. And whenever they saw that it was desirous to make one wise, or let's put it another way, whenever they looked at it and they realized that they would be gaining something, that they would become like God, they decided that they wanted that, and they took that. God has never, at least not in my reading of Scripture and my understanding from the Spirit of God as He moves in our hearts, God does not subordinate Himself to anyone. But nor is God arrogant. It's kind of hard whenever you're the greatest of all, whenever you speak of God, none being higher than greater than you. Is, God can't be arrogant, okay? If God says he's the greatest, he's merely stating a fact. But I also want you to understand this as well. When you look at Jesus Christ, Jesus said this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So whenever you see Jesus humbling himself as a man, taking upon himself, as the scripture says, the form of a servant, okay, wrapping himself in flesh, the Son of God coming to this earth, you are seeing the heart of God in who he is. I do not see arrogance, if it were even possible, in the heart of God. I see God very humble, coming to his creation and loving them whenever we deserve judgment. But God loved us more. Does that mean that judgment does not come? Oh, no, judgment comes. Does that mean that hell's not real? That's a lie, too. And that's taught in a lot of churches. Hell is real and hell is hot. But I will tell you something else. God does not want one single soul to go there. Will there be those that go to hell? Many. There will not be one of souls in hell. But it will not be because God has some grin on his face and a big barbaric club in his hands sending people to hell because he gets some jolly off of that. No. I believe if God in heaven 
ever sheds tears. Let's speak, let's speak about the great white throne judgment. Let's think about Christ here upon the earth. He did weep. He weeped, if you remember. Shortest scripture in the Bible, okay? At the tomb of Lazarus, when he saw the pain on the lives and in the hearts of those people that were there, especially Mary and Martha, what does it say? Jesus wept when he sees the people. When Jesus looks out over the people and they were hungry, he said, or the scripture said, that the people looked like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. And he said, come here. And he has them to sit down. When Jesus looks out and he says, you know, are you burdened or heavy laden? He said, come to me. I'll give you rest. You see God loving, caring, and reaching out. But I said that about weeping for one thing, that if I believed in my heart that God was ever going to weep in heaven, it probably will be in the judgment. Not that the judgment is not just, not that the judgment should not happen exactly like it's happening, but that souls were too cotton-picking stubborn to realize that God actually loved and cared about them and that he sent his son to die. And we spend more time on this earth as human beings, not as church members, but just listen, as human beings in general, including church members too, trying to dismiss or in some way push Jesus to the side or take the things that Jesus said and commanded and just simply say, well, it just doesn't mean that. Or that, you know, that was for a culture and that was for a time, but it is not today. Let me tell you some sin, and I'm not trying to to be sermonic when I say this, but sin is just as wicked and evil today as it was back then. God has not changed. But God is just as merciful today and gracious today as he has ever been. And so whenever we talk about Jesus, I think sometimes we forget that this is God wrapped in the flesh. That this is the son of the eternal, the triune God. And whenever he came in fashion as a man, he humbled himself that you and I might truly, listen to me, truly know God. The Bible says in, let's see, Hebrews. Yeah, that's a good example. In the book of Hebrews, God in times past has spoken to us through the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us through his son, the very image of the invisible God. In him dwelt all the Godhead bodily. If you want to know what God's like, you don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ himself. So when you see Jesus being merciful, loving, and gracious, we always say, well, now is the time of grace. Judgment will come. God has not changed from cover to cover. The same God in the Old Testament that you see judgment taking place, that judgment still takes place. I don't know about you, but we were studying the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, keeping back part of that money, misrepresenting themselves before the people and before God. What happened to them? They dropped dead. Sometimes we offend the holy. And we don't realize it. And God in his grace and his mercy, he just loves us. And and he realizes that we're learning and that we're growing But we really do miss it sometimes. We really do miss how great he really is. And whenever you think about Jesus 
and you realize that God's wrapped up in his flesh, to realize that when John, as the scripture says, he laid his head on the breast of Jesus to sit there and hear the heartbeat of God. Being that close to Jesus. It's beautiful when you think about it. Today, you look at the scripture, and there's a lot of scripture there, and we'll get through what we can. I'm not going to, you know, overemphasize a particular point, but there's several things that are in here. One of these scriptures, uh, Brother Coram actually used, but if you will, go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And as you're getting there, we'll be starting with verse 35 in just a moment. John Mark, the author of this gospel, was a very, very close associate of the Apostle Peter. It is attributed throughout early church history to John Mark, and it is also said that this is basically Peter's gospel. John Mark took everything that Peter described to him. As a matter of fact, it is interesting to me, other than the gospel of John and maybe Matthew, okay, when you get to Mark and Luke, But whenever you look at these accounts, imagine the detail. When John Mark is sitting there talking to Peter, and Peter looked at him and said, you know, uh, there was a time we were out on the sea, and, uh, you know, Jesus came walking up to us. We were terrified, and, and I couldn't contain myself. And I said, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. And Jesus told me I could come, and I actually stepped out and walked on the sea. He could tell you what the ocean felt like between his toes. He could tell you all these things. Whenever Peter was describing, he was saying, I stood there with Jesus. I was on a mountain with James and John, and there was Jesus standing before us. And as we stood there, Jesus, pow! In in just a, a split second, he becomes brighter than the sun, his raiment whiter than snow. And then the next thing we know, here's uh, Moses and Elijah standing with him. They heard the voice from heaven. They were there with the bread and fishes in their hands, tearing the loaves, handing it to people. He could tell you every time I tore off a hunk and handed it over and I went to grab another, there's more bread. Or every time I handed out a fish, I would look down and there is another fish. I was there when he stood beside a tomb. I was there whenever he cried out. He could tell you how his voice sounded whenever he did that. And that's beautiful and powerful to me. That's the reason why we need the account. We need the witness. But even as the apostles were here on the earth, I understand that they were learning. But take that word for a moment, learning, for just a minute. They're there, they're encountering Jesus, and segment by segment in their life, as they walk with him, they are coming to realize there is more to this man than just simply being another rabbi or another teacher, as wonderful as that is to happen, and to have those influences and that wisdom in your life. But they began to see that when Jesus taught, as the scripture said, No one taught like this man. With authority, he speaks. With words, he casts out demons. I mean, he walks along. A demon-possessed person sees him. They start screaming at the top of their lungs. And Jesus would cast them out with a word. 
No one spake like this man. Nobody could do the things that he did. And you look at the grace and the mercy and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so many times, Jesus Christ never gets the credit that he deserves. People look upon him as just merely a historical figure, and they do not realize that all of eternity was split when that man stepped on this earth. When God stepped upon this earth. For everyone that has ever said, I really wish that I knew God. I really wish that I could touch God. I really wish that I could experience him. You will. You will be able to lay your hands on him and feel him and touch him. The God that transcends imagination that is greater than any conceivable thing that you can imagine has chosen to wrap himself in flesh that you might know him, speak to him and experience him in the most intimate of ways. The other way would key. So if you have your Bibles and you are already in the Gospel of Mark, if you will, let's go to verse 35. And in verse 35, we're going to start with the winds and waves and then we're going to continue on. But I want you to see the disciples' encounter with Jesus and then I want you to see the demonic's encounter with Jesus. And see the contrast between the two. Because encountering the real Jesus is transforming. It changes things for eternity. May God bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, as we talked about even during the revival. That is not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. Very bad storms come come rather quickly. So it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat. They were coming in so that it was already filling. Now, you, you get this in your mind for a minute. This is not just some rain. I mean, if you've ever been in a really bad storm, I know we've been on the coast for a number of years and in different places. It is not uncommon to see those boats, even in a marina, to see the waves coming up side and crashing and even going into the boats. So that's kind of a desperate situation. So whenever the disciples say to Jesus that there was a good chance of perishing, at least from a a human standpoint, yeah, that would be what any human being would have said. The only difference is that they were with Jesus. They were with him, and Jesus was watching over them. So, So as the boat is filling, verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, a couple of things about that. I probably don't need to draw this out too much, but this is just a little side note. Did Jesus ever get fatigued or tired? Yes. Being wrapped in flesh, being a human being, absolutely he did. And probably from the ministry, there were times that Jesus was ministering for such a long period of time. He was praying for people. The disciples actually came and removed him. They would say, you know, he's, he's worn out. He's exhausting. Jesus was still loving and ministering to people. They said, we've got to get him out of here, you know. Give him a few minutes break. But anyway, 
So he is now asleep in this boat, and the storm has come up. I can assure you this was not quiet. It was not just a little bit of rain, but this, this storm is beating upon them. And Jesus, being as tired as he was, he's sleeping through this thing. And people would say, well, is there a spiritual aspect? Yeah, I also think there's a spiritual aspect here. The confidence that his father is in control. God's got this. Yes, absolutely. But I want you to see he is resting at this time. And of course, they, being seasoned fishermen, being out on the sea, having seen storms many times, this is not your average everyday storm. This is bad news. Now, is it possible that this is spiritual? I think so. I think that there's also a spiritual aspect to this. The Bible shares and talks about demonic principalities and powers over the air, over the situation. Could it be that they were under attack? That's entirely possible too, but it does not change the fact that Jesus is very comfortable in the arms of his father. And he knows that his, his father has sent him, commissioned him. He has come to do the will of his father who is in heaven and that his father is going to keep him no matter what. Okay. So he's in the stern, he's asleep on a people, uh, on a pillow, not a people. He's not, he's not laying on people, okay? Just work with him. Okay, anyway, he was asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to think about that for a minute. They're looking at him saying, and let's put it, kind of paraphrase it for a minute. Jesus, we're getting ready to die here. Do you not care about the, the seriousness of this situation? Well, of course he does. Of course he does. But it also speaks to our heart. They're in desperation. They're begging for somebody. Please, Jesus, if there's anything you can do, we need some help, or you might want to help start bailing us out here. But look at what Jesus does. Then he arose, and he does something strange. You say, well, it's not strange. We can read it in Scripture. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense if he's God. But if he's just a mere man, it doesn't really make sense. But Jesus stands up, and the Bible says he spoke, or rather he rebuked. Now think about that for a minute. A rebuke. That is a negative sense. That is looking at something and saying it was doing something it was not supposed to do. It needed to stop. This is wrong. When, you, when people are disobedient or people have done things they should not do, they are rebuked for that. Which kind of adds to the thought that maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes. But either way, the end result is the same. So Jesus stands up. And I think that Brother Quorum did a lot of justice to the scripture because he pulled this out. That peace be still, the way it's written, is not a gentle word. When it's saying peace be still, he is giving a command. As it says re rebuke, Jesus is literally saying, stop, silence, shut up, no more, we're done. And then something absolutely, let's use the real word, Miraculous happens. The very elements of the universe, both physical and both spiritual, stop. Why? Because this is not just a man. This is the Son 
of the living God. Jesus said one day he will step out and he will utter his voice and the dead, small and great, everyone, but the dead first will rise. The sea will even give up the dead that are in it. When Jesus and the Bible describes him both in Revelation as well as I believe in chapter 11 of Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, the sheep and the boat, the goats, uh, he's seated upon a throne and the books are open. And whenever he speaks, judgment is given. When you read in the book of Revelation, it says that he rides on a horse. There was a song written back sometimes and it talks about a sword in his hand. The Bible doesn't say a sword in his hand. The Bible says the sword is his word. The word coming out of his mouth slays the nations and brings judgment. Think about it. He is the word of God. He is the son of the eternal, and whenever he speaks, he is the voice. When you go back to Genesis, it talks about the spirit of God hovering over the, over the waters. And then God said, you're looking at the triune God in action. Jesus is the voice of God. If you look back through the entire Old Testament, when you see Lord in all caps, that is God, the angel of the Lord. We're not talking about the great and wonderful archangels like Michael or Gabriel that are mentioned there. We're talking about the captain, the master, the head of the armies of God. That is angel armies. This is God. So Jesus speaks and it is so. He spoke, the universe exists. He speaks again, and he'll consume it with fervent heat, the Bible says. But look at that. He tells it, no more, stop. And the Bible says, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I I know many of you have been outside in the storm, and you've seen them stop stop just as quick as they came up. But that's beautiful. It really is. You have a horrible windstorm, the waves crashing in. We have hurricanes come in on the coast. And then whenever it leaves, or you get to the eye of it, or it leaves, and you see everything just... It's almost like a few days after it, whenever it really gets out of the area and the wind isn't sweeping around, it's like seas like glass for a while. It's amazing. So anyway, there is a great calm after that. So verse 40 says, But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And, and I guess there's a couple of different ways that you can look at that. You know, he's looking at them saying, where is your trust in God? That's what faith is, okay? Where is it that you, you know, how is it that you're struggling to trust God, that he is with you? The fact is, is that he has chosen you, that I am here with you. Did you not know that your father would keep you and protect you? Whether Jesus stood up and rebuked the storm or not, whether this was simply just a storm or whether there is something in the spiritual uh, realities out there that was going on, demonic in power, it didn't matter whether he did it or not. God was still going to keep them, boat and all. They were going to make it. But Jesus, time again, will look at his disciples and he'll say, Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Your Father's got you. And always remember this. Remember this. The fact that that, that God is keeping them, the fact that God is with them does not keep you from having storms in this life. They are coming. That's an aspect of existence, okay? Stuff's going to happen. Rain is going to come. 
The Bible says in describing the two ways that we can build a house, whether on the sand or on the rock. But remember, in both occasions, it says the wind blew, the rains came, the flood rose, and it talks about the wind beating on the house. Both of them encountered the storm, but one would not fall because it was founded upon a a rock. Uh, It was founded upon Jesus. So, He says that to him, and it says in verse 41, and here's something that I really want you to glean from this. Listen to what they said. And they feared exceedingly. Yeah, that that would trouble me too. I mean, you'd be excited, but if you were walking around with a fellow that could just look up and in the midst of a storm and say, stop, and it stops. Or if you're walking around with a person and he just looks over the dead person and he says to him, he says, get up, and they start getting up, you would be a little nervous too. You'd say, you know, it's nice to be with him, but this, this, is, this is not the norm. So catch this. They make this comment. They said to, each, to one another, who can this be? Some of you might read, what manner of man is this? But the, the, the question is, is, who is this fellow? Who is he truly? Does she get back to the title, knowing the real Jesus? think about who is this fellow that would be a question i have what is it about this this is not normal this is somebody greater than the elements we encounter and i think greater is a good way to describe our lord he is greater than anything you conceive or conceive or imagine so that's what he does but they say they make this comment who can this be? They don't understand. Well, let me introduce you to somebody who does understand. Let's keep reading. So after this, it says, God bless the reading of his word. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes, Gadara. Verse 2, it says, And when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That's what they knew about him is that this guy was either demon-possessed, but he was out of his mind. He was so far gone, so eat up, broken, in horrible shape that no man can bind him. They would put chains on him and he would snap it with the demonic power that was in him. And I'm not saying power that he controlled because the fact is he was absolutely out of control. They were using and abusing him, torturing this soul. So he's breaking those. He's living among the tombs. He's screaming and crying out. He's in agony and misery. He's cutting himself. This is the crazy man from Gadara. And also one that is sorely vexed with demons. So verse 3 who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. They couldn't bring him under control. Verse 5, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and what? Does that not strike you strange? Now, am I saying that they're worshiping in the attitude of adoration and love and thanks and this, that, and the other? No, but there is another aspect to worship. That's every knee shall bow. Every knee shall recognize who he is. 
attributing and recognizing that God is the Almighty and there is none but Him and there is none greater. That He is the Creator, that He is indeed what that word means, God. The author and finisher of all things. What do you expect them to do? They are created and were created by Him. All things that exist were created by God and they were all originally created good. These are fallen. Fallen spirits, fallen angels. And so what happens is they are encountering encountering the Almighty. They are encountering the Son of the living God who spoke them into existence. So what should they do? You can't run from Him. We think we can. They know they can't. There's no way to get away from Jesus. Jesus has now encountered them, but there's another reason that this happens. You're going to see it in just a minute. Because it says, as we will read, that Jesus, when he got out of the boat, he saw the man and he said, leave him. So Jesus has already spoken. Well, what do they do? They don't have a choice. They have to leave. So when they saw him, can't run from him. They run up to him to plead. They got to go either way. But they bow before him. Honor him, honoring him in this way, recognizing that he is God. Now let's take a look at this. Okay, we're in verse 6, so we'll be starting in 7. I had to get back there and look. So he comes and he worships him, and look in verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, listen to it, What have I to do with you, Jesus? What does it say next? There's no question, none whatsoever. Now, I know the disciples are learning. They want to know what manner of man this is. They know exactly who he is. They come running up to him and they say, we know who you are. You are the son of the living God, the most high. That's how you are. I implore you by God not to torment me or torture me at this time. Why is that? Because they know their judgment. They know their end. They know that one day Jesus Christ will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations stand before him as well as those spirits. And they will be cast live into the lake of fire and brimstone. Being allowed for a small season for the perfecting of the saints, God allows this trouble and these influences to exist, but only to reveal his glory and his superiority. Where at one time in the beginning we bowed our knee to Satan, now in this age by the grace of God and his mercy we bow our knees in willful obedience back to him saying, no, not me anymore, not me wanting to be God, but you are God, and I will worship you, love you, and serve you. That's what God wants. He wants us to look back at him and say, thank you, and to worship him and honor him. So they look at him, and they say, we know who you are. You're the son of the Most High God. Please do not torment us. Please do not judge us now. So then what do they do? Okay. Now notice the reason that this has happened. This is what I shared with you a moment ago. They beg him because it says in verse 8, for he had said to them, come out of the man unclean spirit. Jesus had already spoken. 
They had to leave. There was no way about it. So now they come to bargain. They're begging, please, please, please. And people have often asked, and there's no reason to, to labor this, but I want you to understand a spirit, especially a demonic spirit, the, the ultimate game for them, the ultimate enjoyment and pleasure that they receive is to torment and torture and destroy you. They wish to express themselves, to experience, to indulge. And those behaviors that God says will eat you and destroy you, he calls them sin. And that is what they thrive off of, to destroy, to, as the Bible describes Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what they're doing. When they do not have a vessel to vex or torment, they themselves are tormented. There's no way to express those things. So they begin to cry out to Jesus, and they say to him, uh, let's take a look in verse 9. So they asked, Jesus asked them, he said, what is your name? Now, we try to get into all these different ways that people should be dealing with demonic spirits and stuff. Just listen. It's not like Jesus doesn't know. But Jesus looks at him and says, who are you? What's your name? He describes himself as legion because they are many. As if that's going to impress Jesus and I. I wouldn't have cared if you would have said, we're all here. He could have looked at him and said, yeah, all of hell just happens to be in this one man. It would not have impressed Jesus any. It just made it a lot easier to say, okay, all of you go. But he says, my name is Legion for we are many. Verse 10, it says, and he, Legion begged him earnestly that he would not send them out into the country. Because Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it goes through dry places looking for rest, and he will not find any, so he wants to return. So they begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine, unclean animals, uh, they were feeding near uh, the mountains. So the demons begged him, saying, now notice that word, catch that begged we miss these things. We miss them because we read them like, okay, they're, they're just saying, Jesus, let us go into the pigs. They're trying to, no, no, no. These words have meaning. They're begging. Why are they begging? Because they have no right. They have no standing. They have nothing there. They know that they stand in judgment. They know that God's sovereign judgment is passed upon them already. And so they're looking at him, and they they know that Jesus isn't going to show necessarily any favor whatsoever. So they beg him and say, please, 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 don't make us go out there. Don't make us suffer. Look, at least there's pigs over here. Give us a host. So what does he do? He tells them, go ahead. Well, what ends up happening, you know, as the Scripture says, they go into the pigs, they go start raving mad, they run off a cliff, and then you got everybody ticked off at the Lord because their pigs are gone, Okay. You know, everybody misses it. That's what blows my mind in the countryside. You've got this man who is so vexed with demons that he is in such torment. And for such a great time, people knew this fellow. There's nothing that they could do about it. They tried to get rid of him. They tried to bind him. They want to throw him someplace so they don't have to deal with him. But they can't deal with him. And then people come up, and because their pigs happen to be drowned, I understand, you know, if that's what you do, you might be a little upset about your pigs. But I probably would have been, hey, where's my pig? Whoa. What happened to this fellow? 
You know, isn't that a crazy man from Gadara? You know, isn't this the one that is demon-possessed? What happened to you? Boy, has he got a testimony. Don't you think about that for a minute. He got a testimony. He's getting ready to tell Say, well, I encountered that man. Now, remember, nobody brought this man to Jesus. Nobody necessarily grabbed Jesus and brought him to that man other than the moving of his father. But what I'm saying is this was a man that is forgotten, shoved, cast to the side, and nobody's interested in him. They just want him gone, and they can't get rid of him. And Jesus, when he comes out, Jesus does not see just somebody horrible, vexed, and that's the end of it. You know, this is one of those creepy people that smells funny, talks weird, acts crazy. We don't want him around us kind of folk. Jesus looked at him and knew immediately what's going on. He was eaten up. He was torn apart. He is out there. He is so bad and so much in pain. He is cutting himself. He's howling at the moon. Do you know anybody like that? Are you related to anybody like that? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That's wrong. I've had a couple. Every family's got a couple of them. And you know what? You just don't want to talk about them. Or you don't want people to know that you're related to them. Do you know my uncle used to... I shouldn't go here. Here comes that rabbit. Anyway... My uncle used to tell me something. I would sit out on the front porch or something like that waiting for everybody to get home. And he'd come up and he'd tell me all the time. He'd say, get off the front porch, go in the backyard. And I said, why? He said, because people might think we're related. (laughs) That's ugly to say to somebody. True, though. (laughs) Anyway, so, but think about this. They missed the beauty of what Christ had done. And I want you to skip down. I want you to look at verse 15 with me. And I want you to see this real quick. When they came to Jesus, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You see the human response? You should go back to the the apostles there in the boat. They're afraid too. You encounter God, there is that element. You're encountering the holy. You're encountering the greatest that has ever been or ever will be. Albeit for our benefit, he cloaked that glory in flesh. If you remember in the Old Testament, you could not see or look upon God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says even in the New Testament that God himself, as he is in himself, lives in inapproachable light. You cannot see him directly. But think about this. Moses said, I want to see you, God. You know, he has to put him in the rock. He lets him see his glory as he passes. That God loved you and me enough to wrap himself in flesh so that you can look at him so that you can hear him, not like he was up on the mountain whenever he gave the commandments and the earth shook and there was a great dark cloud lightning and thundering and the earth quaked as God uttered his voice and the people said, Moses, please, please tell God not to speak to us. You speak to us because if God continues to speak to us, we will surely die. That God is the same God that was with those disciples that encountered this man from Gadara 
that showed him mercy and grace. Jesus could have easily said, no. I don't know what he did. I don't know he wound up in that situation. It may have been no fault of his own. It could have been he was involved in all kinds of wicked things. But I can tell you that Jesus had mercy on him. We need a fresh encounter with the real Jesus, the Almighty, God in flesh. Not the person that you pray and hope can, the person who speaks and it is so. That God wants us to love, to honor, to worship him, and to recognize who he is. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whoever we encounter, we're expected to look for him and to be like him. Not a Jesus we have come up with or we think should be a certain way, but the real Jesus. Today, as our worship team is coming, Maybe God's dealing with your heart today. We always open the altars. We believe in this. This is a conviction of the real Jesus, that he is here today, that this is not just a man standing up here speaking, but that God, by his Holy Spirit, in spite of what I might say, hopefully confirming the word with signs following, but maybe even in spite of what I say, God is still ministering and speaking to people today in this house I'm telling you, when revival was taking place, whenever we opened up the altars, I saw my daughter in here. Oh, man, I saw uh, the Hutchins' daughter was up here. Uh, Kent, where is he? 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 There you are. But whenever, whenever you were at the altar, when, when, whenever Katie Bell, people, when God's moving among your children, you really got a move of God. I mean, people, what I'm saying is when the heart is tender and open before God, You'll see that in your children. They're very, very open to that. The problem is, is that we grow up and get callous to it. If God's moving in them, he's certainly moving in us. So today, this is what I'm saying. I believe that the altar that exists here is for you. This altar is for whatever you need whenever you're talking to Jesus. Do you have to come up here? No unless God tells you to. If God is dealing with your heart, don't tell him no. I don't get tick marks for you coming down here. This is your Jesus time. That's what it is. It's a time that we surrender and we step out. If God is leading you to the altar, then you and him need to meet. If I can pray for you while you are here, I'm available. You just come right up here to me and I'll pray for you. But if you need to just have some time with Jesus to my right or my left, you can uh, stand, kneel if you want to. Sometimes your legs won't allow you to do that. If you've got knee problems or something like that, there's chairs right here along the front. You can sit down. The important thing is that you meet with God. Now, last thing, but the thing that really, really resonates in eternity, do you know the real Jesus? If you don't know him, okay, 
please don't walk out of here without him. Even if you have questions or you're unsure, grab somebody. Grab me before you leave today. We'll, we'll hang out with you. We'll make an opportunity. We'll stay here today or we'll make an appointment, whatever it takes. Don't leave without Jesus. Or if you're struggling in your relationship, maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe God's drawing you back today. Respond as God speaks to you. Amen? So if everyone will please stand, don't wait for anybody else. If God's speaking to you, it's your time. Respond as God speaks to your heart. The Savior is waiting to enter your
Let's do this for just a minute. We're going to continue to minister for just a moment. We will never, ever cut somebody off at the altar. That's Jesus, man. So we're not going to do it. But I tell you what I'm going to let you do. You can be seated for just a moment because we've got a few things we want to share with you. And I want you to remain in an attitude of worship and an attitude of love. God is good. And nothing changes. We're still worshiping. We're still loving. And we are still serving. Now, um, we've got several things that have transpired. We've had many, you know, that have been at the altars. We've had many that have come and saying, you know, I love Jesus. I'm renewing my faith in you. Uh, or, or, God, I'm recommitting my life to serve you with everything that is within me. That's powerful. And in just a moment, we will, deacons, be ready. Because in just a moment, we're going to have a, a, a prayer in just a moment. Uh, for the Corrales over here, Sean's going to be having a surgery on Wednesday. I almost said Thursday again. Did you see me do it? I almost did. So we're going to pray for him in just a moment. But I want you to see a couple of different things. As a matter of fact, Miss Katie Bell, can you come in for a moment? Once again, just surrendering her heart and life to Christ. Listen, please, if your children come up to this altar, I don't care, a hundred times this year, don't discourage them. When God's dealing with their hearts, I'm telling you what, I was, in my life, I gave my heart to Christ, but you know what? I I wandered away from God. And some of these kids, I'm going to tell you, live better lives than a lot of folks, okay? But the fact that God is speaking to them and drawing them over and over again, people, that's beautiful and powerful. And not only is she coming because she loves Jesus Christ with all her heart, she's going to get baptized, right? Getting baptized again. So we're going to praise the Lord. You want to say anything or are you good? You're good? Okay. Praising the Lord for that. Now, I want to uh, introduce you to somebody else here. Can, can, can the Moore family come up here? We've got Mac and Hannah coming up here. Where's Sawyer? Is he, is he downstairs? Yeah. <laughs> He's just attacking the world right now. This is Cooper, okay? And uh, as a matter of fact, under you is a microphone, if I could borrow it for just a minute. But I want to tell you something about Cooper. Cooper has been to the altar several times, and he has informed his mother and his father, and they've been talking to him. He says, you know, he's serious about this Jesus thing. He wants Jesus in his heart, and he wants to be baptized. Well, he's, okay. Now, this is a young man, and this is an awesome young man, one of the most intelligent young people I've ever met. So we finally decided we're going to go into the office, and we need to talk about this thing, okay, because we want to make sure that we're not just getting baptized. So I asked him some very direct questions about salvation to which he answered them better than most people i talked to and understanding who jesus christ was wanting jesus christ to live in his heart believing that jesus christ died for him to wash away our sins that's how it happened he knows that the bad things that he does he's not supposed to be doing and he knows that he wants jesus to be the lord of his life now i'm going to ask you right now who would i be if i stood between him and jesus i'm not going to do it The Bible says, if they be of little faith, let them come. But I'm going to tell you straight up, if I see a young person that is hungry for Jesus and they want him with all their heart, somebody calling me, who's calling Oh, I'm sorry. It's my insurance. I I need another policy. (laughs) I I tried to ignore it, but they called three times back to back, so I was assuming. But anyway, so you're going to be in charge, man. Tell everybody who you love with all your heart. Jesus.
Now let me tell you something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we put them on the spark, we put them in the limelight, and they're like, look, I'm just here for Jesus. I didn't come for all that. So anyway, I just want you to know that I'm proud of this young man. I'm proud. Let me tell you something. Ministry does not happen. All of it's not supposed to happen in the church. It's supposed to happen at home. And for those of you that are out here, the godly influence that you have been upon your children, when you get to heaven, that alone, folks, that you've been faithful to love your babies, well done, good and faithful servant, because they need it. They need it. So when you got a mommy and a daddy that are loving Jesus and sharing Jesus, whoo, so you know what? We're going to put him in the pool as well. My sweetheart's going to be in the pool. And anybody, any of you, any of you that want to be baptized, we're going to have baptism here soon. And uh, when you're in the water, I, whether it's one or whether it's 5,500, we're going to do it. Amen? Amen? So you can come and be a part. Cooper, I love you. You are the man, and I love you so much. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Now, very quickly, if I could, if I could have the deacons come forward for prayer, and we're going to pray for Sean, and then we're going to be dismissed. Now, if anybody else wants the deacons to come, and you want to come up and pray too, you're welcome to. We're not exclusively saying only the deacons pray, but we are charged in Scripture to let the elders of the church to come and pray. So that's what we're going to do. Everyone's invited to come that wants to, but we do, in obedience to God's command, we bring the elders forward. So... According to the promise of God's word, and I know you love Jesus, my friends. And because of that, I, I know that God's got this, but we trust and believe, and it is right that we pray. Because as awesome, even as Dr. Dixon is behind you, as awesome as doctors are, we recognize that there is a great position. So, Father, according to your word, you said that if there is any sick among us, to let us call for the elders of the church, that we are to anoint them with oil, and we're to pray the prayer of faith. And you said, Father, that you would hear our prayers, and you said that you would heal the sick, and if they had committed any sins, they would be forgiven. So we anoint you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and now we pray. Father, trusting and believing you for this godly family and for my brother, Father, bless him today. Watch over him. We ask you, Father, to stretch out your hand in sovereignty and to heal him because you are our God and you are the great physician. Yes. And we ask you, Father, that even in surgery that you give the doctors excellence to do what they need to do. Yes. But, Father, however you choose to do it, we know you are the healer and we ask you, heal this, my brother. Yes. May it be successful. May you watch over, guard, and protect and that you bless this family and keep them. We trust you and believe you. We proclaim the name of the Lord. We trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the power of his life, his death, his shed blood, and his resurrection. We proclaim your promise and believe you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So today, love somebody before you leave. Hug these young people. Uh, give Cooper and Katie Bell and, and all the rest of them, uh, slide them a 50 before you leave, okay? You're dismissed. God bless.
strings five minutes, I'll share some. <laughs> <laughs>